worthy is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning, Lord, just with grateful hearts that we can sit and hear from you today. Lord, we ask that you would just speak and give us ears to hear. We center ourselves on you these few moments just to hear from your word today, O God, Lord. Give me the utterance for the things that you have pressed upon. Be with Pastor today as he is in Brother Rodney's sharing. Lord, just speak through him as well. Give them a great time of rest as they're gone these couple weeks. Continue to pray for his recovery of his shoulder, Lord. We thank you for what you've done thus far. As you continue to do that, Lord, we are also mindful of, of Marilyn Ashley, Lord, that you ask that you come and touch her, Lord, give her peace and comfort, no pain. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, normally, with me speaking on the first Sunday of the month, Usually, something in my reading, something I, conversation that I have, something I hear on the radio, whatever, will spark a thought. It may even be a word, a message someone else speaks. It may be one word, whatever it might be. And then the, that will start brewing in me, and I'll know, have a pretty clear direction of where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. Well, this time, a little different. And I was just seeking the Lord and doing my normal reading. And I was like, Lord, what, what is it that you have for us this time? Wasn't really getting any particular thing. And the Lord speaks to me in a, a unique way. Aren't you glad that he speaks to all of us in unique ways? Because we're all unique individuals. Because the way he speaks to me may not be the same of you because you may be completely deaf in that area or that wavelength. Likewise, you know, me for you how the Lord speaks to you, I may completely be deaf in that area. So I'm grateful that he meets us where we are. So anyways, I was, I was real talk. I'm going to be transparent here for the first couple minutes. I was getting kind of nervous. And like, you know, normally I take a good three weeks to prepare for, Sunday, for the first Sunday. And nothing, nothing, nothing. Wednesday night, not this past, but the one before. Three weeks ago, actually, this past Wednesday, we shared on John 4, and I was out of town for work, so I missed it. They only got through first 20-something verses of the chapter, and then we picked up the second half the week that I was back. And that, that Wednesday, I had had a, a long week. Well, it's only Wednesday, but it felt really long, and I, was, I worked late, and, and real talk, just being transparent, I did not feel like going to church. I didn't. Boys were sick, and Gretchen had to stay home with them, and here I was. I came home from work late. I ate, and I turned around and left again. And I was like, Lord, is this really what you would have for me as a father to come home, turn around, and leave my family again? Yes, I understand the importance of getting together to come to learn of you, but today I just, once again, I'm being transparent. I don't feel like it, but I went anyway. And so we were talking about John 4, 
And this is what I'm talking about is, is making sure that we are staying in tune to the Spirit because it wasn't even the week that this verse that we was a springboard for what we're going to share on today. But actually, Brother Andre said, he must needs go to Samaria. That's King James. I don't even have a King, or I have one, but I don't even use a King James. I use a new King James. But I've remembered that from when I was a kid, hearing Pastor share on this passage in John 4 is where we're going to be today, if you want to turn there. But he must needs go to Samaria, which in today's vernacular doesn't even make sense. When I was putting it in my notes, Word doesn't like it. It underlines it and says that doesn't, that's grammatically not right. But he must needs. For some reason, I don't know what it was about that phrase, but it really was burning within me. And I knew right then, and as I drove home, I wept. And I said, thank you, Lord. When my flesh was weak, I didn't even want to go. Even still, through all of that, you were able to speak to me. And lay in my heart what it was you have for us today. So let's look here, and John, I know some of you that were there, it's okay, it's, we can never hear things too often, maybe there, because I wasn't there, there'd be things that I share that were different from what you had brought out. But let's look in chapter 4 in the, uh, the book of John. Therefore, in verse 1, when the Lord knew that the Pharisee had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And here's the verse. In the New King James it says, and, but he needed to go through Samaria. But I prefer the King James version of that. He must needs go to through Samaria. Now, why is that significant? Why would that even be something that the Holy Spirit would, would say or even need to fill in there? So to find that out, we need to find out a little backdrop of what's even who the Samaritan people are and why it would be that the Holy Spirit would drop that in there. So the Samaritan people and the Israelite people did not like each other at all. The reason for it is back in... 2 Kings chapter 17, when they were exiled and brought in, there was a king and he brought in a bunch of other people from other nations to repopulate the area. And what happened in that region where the Jewish people started to intermarry with those other foreigners, so the Jewish, the 100% Jewish people considered them half-breeds and they were, not, no, they were no longer pure Jewish. So therefore, they were lesser Therefore, they were not as worthy. Therefore, they were, uh, they were looked up, down upon. In many cases, it says they were considered like dogs. This was this Samaritan people. Samaria is actually modern-day Palestine. But you know, if anything that's going on in the Middle East, how interesting that is, even still, the Palestinian Israelite people to this day do not get along and constantly fighting over land and different types of things. I always, it 
shouldn't amaze me, but it does amaze me how things that happen in Scripture are still playing out today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So these Samaritan people. What they would do typically, and I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, imagine I was going to pull up a map, but a lot of the maps that I had were, doesn't matter. Anyways, if you imagine in your mind's eye, you have Judea is right here. Just to the north of that is Samaria. Along the eastern border, now for you I'm doing this, for the eastern border of Samaria is the Jordan River. And then you have the Sea of Galilee is here, and then there's Galilee right here. Well, Jesus was down here in Judea, and he wanted to go to Galilee. So typically what they would do, their disdain for the Samarian people was so great is they would, when they would travel from the southern portion here of Judea to go to Galilee, they would go way out of their way on the east side of the Jordan, and then they would come along to, above that to the, from the north and come into Galilee. Way out of their way. Now we're not talking about they got in the car and they decided to go a different route. They were walking, or they were, they were riding in some type, maybe a donkey or whatever the case may be. This was an arduous process. So for them to go out of the way, it was a, a pretty strong disdain for these people that they would just go completely out of their way just to walk through the very region. That's some severe hatred. So I, I kind of I put it, I wanted to put it in today's in our in our our area to kind of give us perspective. So from Judea to the north, if you were to go straight line from there to Galilee, depending on where you're going to be, Capernaum was to the north of the Sea of Galilee, so that was kind of the northern portion. But if you were to go to any of the cities that were in the, to the south. There it was 75 miles, anywhere between 65 and 80. So let's just call it 75 miles, straight line. So that would be the equivalent of us walking from Dearborn to Lansing. Okay? A little bit of a, a stretch, yes? But here's the thing. In doing so, I want to avoid Brighton because I don't like the people in Brighton. They're half-breeds. So in order to avoid that, I'm going to go way up to Fenton, way out there, nobody lives out there, way out to Fenton, and then have to come back from the north down to Lansing, or kind of roundabout. So that's the equivalent of what they're doing. That doesn't make any sense for us to do that, to go from Dearborn to Lansing by way of Fenton. But that's what, exactly what they're doing. That's the same distance that we're talking about here. But that's how much they hated these people, is they would go way out of their way in order to avoid them. But Jesus, he must needs to go through Samaria. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that he was walking in the Spirit and was being directed. So let's take a look here. You know, speaking of walking in the Spirit, we're going to, as we walk through this life, we're going to interact with people on a daily basis. So my encouragement to you is, when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to be able to take advantage of appointed encounters. Because that's what Jesus had when he went through Samaria. He had an appointed encounter. We'll get to it in a second. Many of you already know the story of what's going to happen, but that's okay. 
We can have appointed encounters on a daily basis when we ask the Lord, Lord, who do you have for me today? I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be here, and there's my plans for the day based on my schedule is what's going to happen. But from here to there, Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee. That's where he's going. That was his where he's supposed to go. That's where his schedule had him going. But he, took, he stopped along the way and had an appointed encounter. So we can ask the Lord, Lord, guide me by your spirit. Throughout the day, as I go to the grocery store, I need to get milk, bread, and eggs. But as I'm in the line, if I'm to have an appointed encounter with maybe the, the lady at the checkout, pastor talks about it all the time, he rarely goes through the self-checkout because you have no interaction with people when you do that. You walk in, you get your stuff, you walk out, and you don't say a word to people. He intentionally goes through the normal checkout just because he likes to talk to the individuals, the people at the checkout, how you doing? And he's had many appointed encounters by doing that. Lord, help us not to be so busy and scheduled that we can't even fathom the idea of having to wait in line for more than 30 seconds for these appointed encounters, yes? It's another message simplifying our lives. He needed to go through Samaria in verse 4. Let's pick up in verse 5. So he came to a city in Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well was there. Jacob dug a well thousands of years earlier with no idea of what was going to happen. None. No idea. He willed it to his son, Joseph. And here we have, I can just imagine, as they're physically digging this well out, the Lord just seeing through the span of time, saying to his son, there's going to be a time that you must needs go through Samaria. Because there's going to be <coughs> a woman that you're going to have an appointed encounter with on this particular day. If that well was dug for no other reason, it would have been worth it in God's economy. Jesus, therefore, we're in verse 6 again, being wearied from his journey. <coughs> Jesus is weary here, and he took the shortcut. Isn't it great to see that Jesus was wearied? To confirm the fact that he was all man. Has anyone ever been weary before? He has touched, Hebrews tells us, he is touched by the feelings of of our infirmities. So when you're weary, he knows exactly what it feels like. He can empathize with that. He was wearied because of his journey. When I thought about that, just like that Wednesday evening, I was weary. My flesh did not feel like going to church. I could have easily justified that as a father. Thank you, honey. As a father, I should stay home with my children who I haven't seen all day long. My bride, I haven't seen her all day. I can justify these things in my mind. 
Jesus was weary from his work, or from his walk, his journey. And he sat by this well. He could have been like, completely missed it. This woman comes, and he could have not said a thing. Why? Because he was tired. I can imagine just kind of sitting up against it or leaning on it, whatever. Seeing her come, thinking, that's kind of strange. And just catching his breath, weary. How many times have we not been in tune and walking in the Spirit because we are weary that we miss our appointed encounter? That's when we can rely on his perfect strength when ours is weak. Continuing on here in 6. He sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Whether you're looking at the Jewish clock or the Roman clock, it's either going to be around noon or 6 in the evening. Regardless of the time, it is a strange time to be drawing water. Most cases I've heard commentaries say that it was it was based on the, the Jewish clock, which is interesting, I didn't know this, that the Jewish hours aren't aren't sixty minutes like us. It's one twelfth of the sunlight for that day. So if there are twelve hours of sunlight, then there's sixty minutes. But if there are thirteen hours or fourteen hours of sunlight their hours are one-twelfth of each of those. Pretty interesting. So their hour could be an hour and 17 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever that even distinction is. Regardless of how you do the math, it's probably somewhere right around noon when Jesus is sitting there. And a woman of Samaria. So first of all, she has two strikes against her. A woman, which we know there weren't worth anything, and she's a Samaritan. Two, double strike, right? She came to draw water. Well, what time is it again? The sixth hour. What do we know? We're in the Middle East. What time is it the hottest? In the middle of the day. High noon. There's a reason why it's called that. Yes, the sun is in the highest position. It's the hottest part of the day. Typically what people would do is they would get their water pots, they would go and fill their water pots for the day, whatever they needed, cooking, cleaning, all the different things, the, the things that they needed their water for. They would go in the cool of the morning and they'd carry them back to their homes and then they would do their thing. And either if they needed more, they would go in the cool of the evening or they would do it, wait until the next morning again. But you certainly would not go at noon. That's the worst time to do it. You would waste a bunch of your water because you're going to be so thirsty from the journey that you're going back and forth in that heat. When we were in Mexico on a mission trip, you know, it gets hot here sometimes in July. But whew, you don't know hot until you get down closer to the equator. <laughs> there's a different, there's a distinction of hot that we don't know anything about here in Michigan. And that's what I kind of imagine. It, it's, you can almost like feel the heat literally on your brow, closing your eyes. It's just like, you, you don't, I don't know, it's, it's a strange phenomenon to experience. That's what I imagined when I thought about this lady going and carrying her water pot to get water at noon. And Jesus says to her, once again, I want to reiterate, he's speaking to a woman 
a Samaritan woman. And he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She knew. She knew exactly how these Jewish people felt about her. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He says, if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. She continues on here. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. She completely missed it. Right over, flew right over her head. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than your father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Verse 13. Jesus answered and said, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Whoever drinks... Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, excuse me, but whoever drinks of the water that I give you will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Can you say amen to that? Thank you, Lord. Then the woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. <laughs> so she's like, listen, I'm tired of coming here in the middle of the day. This is hot. This is hard work. Give me this water that I'll never thirst again because I'm, I'm good. I'm, I don't want you ever need to come here ever again. She's still thinking about right here. That's what she's thinking about. We talk about on Wednesdays a lot of times how Jesus will drop a little nugget and somebody will ask him a question and he just throws it over the wall and just talks about whatever he wants to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Hmm, this guy, Jesus, he's, a, he's an interesting character. Go call your husband and come here. Maybe your husband will be able to understand what we're talking about here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Now Jesus said, okay, we'll stop playing around. He says to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Yeah, you don't have a husband, but you've had five other ones, and the guy you're with now isn't even your husband. So you can just imagine draw, your jaw just dropping. Who's this guy? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. They were arguing about where the temple should be even back then. Palestine, Israel, where is the temple going to be? 
Sounds familiar. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So Jesus basically settles the debate here. We're not so worried about the location of the temple because there comes a time that that veil is going to be rent. It doesn't matter where you're going to be. We're not going to be worried about these temples made with hands because we become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad for that? Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But here is what is so crazy and what we can't even fathom. Jesus decides to reveal to her two huge things, back to back. And I think about the person that he chose to do. A Samaritan. Not only just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Now, I know I've said this now probably five times, but I wanted to really sink in who this person was that he decided to drop this revelation. He didn't bring over his 12. Say, guys, I got something I need to tell you. He didn't even bring over his inner circle, the three. He didn't even bring those guys over and say, hey, guys, listen, I got a little nugget for you. It was this Samaritan dog woman that he decided to share with. And what does he tell her? The hour is coming, verse 23, and now is. The hour is coming, and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, verse 24, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here we have the Samaritan woman, and he is revealing to her what true worship is. Can you imagine? It is a pivotal part of what we do, of our lives, every single day, he's revealing to her, here's how you do it. Here's the recipe of what we're supposed to do. I'm going to share with this person that no one else really want anything to do with. Why was she there at noon? She was ashamed of herself. She was disdained from the, even in the Samaritan people. These dogs, even inside of that group, we have the Samaritans who are below the Jews, supposedly. Then we have inside that Samaritan group, we have a woman who is below even the men. And now all of a sudden, she's even an outcast of those women. Can you imagine the shame that she felt? In her heart and in her life, the fact that she would go and draw water at noon so that... No one would see her, that no one would be around her, that I can go there in private and in peace, and I can just go and draw my water because I'm shamed even by the shameful people. This Samaritan woman, this is who? This is the one. This is the one that he chose to share. Here's how you truly worship me. These mean girls. Girls can be pretty mean. I would imagine there were times where she initially would go and draw water at the same time with the rest of the women in the cool of the morning. 
their looks and their whispers, maybe even confrontation got to be too great. But she decided just to avoid it altogether. Just forget it. I don't need that. I'm just going to go in the middle of the day when nobody else is there. Guarantee myself that I'll be alone. This one, this outcast. That's who Jesus decides to reveal through worship, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. <laughs> yeah, you know from your tradition that he's going to tell you all things. He just did. He just told you a huge thing. It's standing right there in front of you, this Messiah that you're talking about, that you've heard about your entire life. This man is standing right in front of you and he is asking for something from you. Once again, verse 26, he says to her, I, who you speak to, am he. One of the greatest declarations of all times. Declaring for the first time. Once again, not to his 12, not to his inner circle, but to this Samaritan dog woman outcast. He's letting her know, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. This one you speak of that's going to reveal all things to you, you're looking right at him. How amazing is that? I just, it just so struck me that he would choose that he's such a non-respecter of persons that he would choose to the, reveal this to her. Let's continue reading here. We see in 27, the disciples at this point had showed up. They probably were walking out going, what's he doing? Who is he talking to? More importantly, what's he saying? <laughs> Verse 28, the women then, so excited about what she had just heard, the things that she just revealed, I mean, her eyes just exploded with revelation. She gets so excited, she leaves her water pot. The very reason why she was there, she leaves it. She went on her way into the city and said to the man, Come see a man who told me all things that he, I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She turned, immediately turned into a, a missionary. She was going and taking that good news that she got, that touch that she had. She went out and shared it. With all everybody that would listen. This Samaritan missionary. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Talks about a couple other things here. I want to jump down to verse many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. 
He told me all that I ever did. There was the expression was used on Wednesday that he read her mail. Today would be reading her email. Everything that you could possibly want to know about, he, let, he laid it out for us. Said, here, here's where you're at. You may say this, but here's really where you've been at. And we see that there were some initially that went out, but she continued. The guys that she came up and said, God, you got to see this. The Messiah is here. Those guys took off and went. And she didn't stop there. She continued to share because it says here, many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman. So she continued, even after those guys took off to run, she went and found more people. She was excited. She wanted to share the good news of what it was she had, this revelation. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. I'm convinced that Jesus did not take the path that normally the Jewish people would to the east of the Jordan for this appointed encounter. Convinced. He knew. All right, I got to go to Galilee. Well, Father, what do you have for me today? We must needs go to Samaria. All right, that's normally not what we do. But all right. Whether or not it was completely revealed to him he would meet this woman or not, we don't know, doesn't comment on that. But we do know that if it had he taken the normal path Follow the path of what everybody else does. This woman, whose life was forever changed, would have not had that encounter. So if there is something that maybe you do that is the norm of the self-checkout, I'll use a simple example, because I'm busy, I've got to hurry in and out, i got to go. If maybe you need to go out of your way and go into the, the normal line to have that appointed encounter. Because what if that, that individual who is at the checkout, their life is forever changed by the fact that you took an extra eight minutes on your trip to Kroger? Is that worth it? He must needs go to Samaria. This is the love of the one that we serve. He didn't think it inconvenient to do unconventional things in order to teach or reach even just one. You know, it was hot for him too. He was weary. But even through that inconvenience, he said, yes, Father, I'll go. And meet this rejected one who now is accepted by the greatest one. What a beautiful story. Continuing on here. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. We talked about it on Wednesday. John doesn't record that for whatever reason. Be curious to know the things that he said to them. 
Verse 42. Then he said to the woman, then they said to the woman, excuse me, now we believe not because of what you said. For we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is where we all need to come. Many of us have believed because of what we've heard fill in the blank say. Your parent, your pastor, your mentor, your whatever. Many of us have believed because of something else, something that someone else has said. But we need to get to the point where we believe and we know we are assured because of what he says. It transitions from just not riding along on and hanging on to somebody else's words, but we actually come and hang on to the word. Because what happens is if we're hanging on to a man and, and their words, if that man fails, their word is going to go with them. But this word never fails. Don't tell me you've done too much. Don't tell me you've gone too far. Don't tell me you're too young or you're too old. Don't convince yourself that you're not good enough or that you're not worthy. Don't believe the lie that you're not worthy of his love and that he could never use you. He will go wherever is required to reach you. He must needs go to Fenton. He must needs go to Woodhaven. He must needs go to Livonia or Trenton or Ipsy. Wherever it is that you are, he must needs to go right where you are to meet you. That's the love of our Father. He sees us. He'll meet you in the desert of your life with the sun slamming down on you a time of desperation, a time of loneliness, a time of feeling like you're an outcast and not worthy of what he has, he'll meet you right where you are. You may feel parched, dried up, unwanted, unlovable, not useful, lacking direction, yet he must needs come to you. so grateful that he sees us right where we are. So you can't convince me that he doesn't desire to speak to you and to express love to you because we know we have the in their mind, let's remember the Jewish people the Samaritans who are a sub- culture in their mind. Below them, inside of that subculture is their women who are below 
We know that's not how the Lord has that order, but that in their mind, that's what it was. So she was not only a Samaritan woman, but also she was an outcast, even in that group. This is who he chose to reveal true worship and that I'm the Messiah. So if he can reveal that to her, what does he desire to say to you? He must needs to meet you right where you are. Let's stand. Father, we're so grateful today that you see us where we are. So grateful that you will come and meet us. Lord, help us to be careful to, to walk in the Spirit. Not only not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, but Lord, having those appointed encounters that you have designed for us, Lord. Help us every single day to seek out your voice and your direction so that we can have those appointed encounters, so we can be a light in this dark, hopeless world. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.